0: Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas podcast, where attitude is everything. On today's show, we've been going back and forth. I think I had to reschedule a couple of times. I apologize about that right off the bat. But when I was looking through, and we've been we've we've had um, similar paths in our uh, in our professional lives. But when I was scrolling through, I, I saw this young lady on Instagram, and it, it stuck out to me so huge because she was talking about purpose. She was ta- uh, you know, her book is Poverty to Purpose, and. When I saw it, it was just so incredible uh, to be able to see what she was doing, and she was doing it for the right reasons. I believe that when you do the right things for the right reasons, the right things turn out. The coolest thing, though, was her title, right? So she said that, you know, I know she's an author, she's a salon owner, but also my favorite was a virtuous woman. Now, she's a grandmother, a mother. You won't believe that she's a grandmother. But I want to welcome to the show. I believe she's going to be a best-selling author, so we're going to say that right off the bat. Dan- uh, best-selling author, Danielle C. Giddens. Thank
1: you so much. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kelly. I appreciate it. Um, I will accept all of the accolades and the bestseller. That sounds wonderful <laughs> to me. Um, and it doesn't matter that you had to reschedule. I always say that God's timing is perfect and today is perfect for us.
0: Well, I, I appreciate it. I, I really do. And you know, the, the, uh, the part of the bestseller, I want to tell you this, you are a bestseller and then just put in small words in your family. And when, when we published when I published the first book, I told people I was a bestseller, they were freaked out. And I was like, yeah, my mom bought it, my dad, you know what I mean? So we're all good. So I want to hop right into this because, you know, a lot of times people, like you have such a light about you, right? When you came on screen, I I, I mean, your smile is amazing. You make me feel bad about my teeth because my teeth are kind of yellow compared to yours. Well, everyone's is. But yours, I mean, you you look phenomenal. Um, But when you come on, you have this light about you. But also you have this this message that brings people into the light. Can you kind of... Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Um, I'm not sure what that message is, but I think for me, I lived it. And so, um, hello, everyone. I'm Danielle C. Giddens. Thank you, Kelly, for having me on. Um, I did write a book. That book is titled From Poverty and Prison to Purpose, A Journey of Discovering Freedom. And I think because I lived that journey, you know, it's easy for me to talk about something because I lived it. I am it. It's a memoir. And so for me, it is easy. It's um, it's about me. Being born into sin, as all of us, and we're born into these families that uh, we don't choose. They're our biological moms and dads. And, you know, unfortunately, through life, everybody has some type of brokenness that we pass down and influence to um, our children and our children's children, our family, and in that instance, I um, went through some traumas as a young girl. I went through some traumas as losing my parents um, as a young girl. Um, I went to prison when I was 21 on my 21st birthday, and so, um, and I had daughters when I went to prison. I think my youngest daughter was one, and my oldest daughter was five, and so, well, four and a half. So, for me, You know, it's all about, you know, my relationship with God. God was my light. So now I'm being a light for him in the world to say it doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't matter what light throws you. All you have to do is know the difference between right and wrong and know the difference between light and darkness. And you follow the light. And that's what I chose to do. <laughs> and you
0: know, it, it's incredible. Now, can you talk? To, we're going to take this thing. We're going to take it in bite-sized pieces. So I apologize for not putting the prison part in. I I said okay. from poverty, and I skipped right over to purpose. You you were like you looked at me. I saw you side look me too when you said it. You were like from poverty, and then prison, and then to purpose. So. Talk. First of all, I want you to talk to those people out there that are like, okay, yeah, that sounds good for you, Danielle, but you have no idea what I'm going through. I'm in it. I'm in the, in the rough part of it. You have your banner behind you. You've written a book. You've got a salon. Your hair looks amazing. Your makeup looks amazing. Your teeth are white. You know what? I don't have all that. You have this perfect scenario, and it's okay for you, but I don't think it could happen to me. Can you talk to that person right now?
1: So that person is, I will say, honestly, if you get my book, you will understand that my name is Danielle Giddens. And I say that that is my new birth, my new chance at life. It's my married name. But Danielle Rogers is my maiden name. And Danielle Rogers is the girl that you would connect with. Danielle Rogers is the girl that made all of the mistakes. Danielle Rogers was the girl that was looking for love in all the wrong places. She was the girl that got tired of poverty and decided that she was going to become the girlfriend of a drug dealer so that he can take care of her. And even though Danielle Rogers left home at 18 to get her own apartment because she was uh, her household consisted of, um, Criminals, uh, drug users, and all my family, uncles, my mom, and our house got raided all the time. So I left my house thinking that I was going to create something different for, at that moment, I just had one daughter. But I wound up recreating the same thing in a different way because I became the girlfriend of a drug dealer, which is still the same life. So I am that person. I just don't look like what I've been through because of God's grace and mercy upon my life. And so um, what I will say to you is that I talk about going on a journey of discovering freedom. Um when you are born into poverty, your mindset is in bondage. It's like you don't know anything but your surroundings and what um, you were influenced under. And it's, it's about getting out and and exposing yourself to other people, exposing yourself to other places. And to be honest, um, the first time I got exposed was, um, outside of my environment in Baltimore, Maryland was me going and following my purpose and actually becoming a hairstylist. But I went to, um, a hair show and it was a signature gathering with Paul Mitchell and it was in Vegas. That was my first time in Vegas and I got exposed to a whole nother different world of people that I wasn't used to being around but I had enough maturity within myself to understand that you know this was a good place to be and I can learn a lot from everything that I was being exposed to and so what I would offer The first thing I would offer is to attach yourself to people that can take you to the places that you love. You know, you have to tap into something that you love. For me, after leaving prison, when I was in prison, that was God's way of redirecting my focus and saying, okay, you're going on the wrong path, Danielle. And if I didn't stop you now, you wouldn't have been able to redirect your focus and say, You need to live a life pleasing for your daughters. You need to be a different influence for your daughters. And that's what I decided to do. So when I left prison, I went home, got a job at Kmart, and Kmart, the next stop after Kmart was hair school. Mm. So I followed my purpose, and I just, I was running through life ever since then until one day I looked up and looked around, and I was like, we're good. (laughs) We're good. We're not. (laughs) How did I get here? (laughs) And so you just got to take life. You got to run. You got to plan. You got to, you know, never give up. When life knocks you down, you got to get up, dust your knees off, and figure out okay, that plan didn't work. What's the next thing for you? But I will say, you have to have a belief higher than man himself. Because my direction was always in like like my my grandmother. I had a Christian background as far as my grandmother and my great um my paternal grandmother and my maternal grandparents. But my maternal side didn't worship. They didn't, you know, worship with other people. It was just a belief. And they did pray, but on my paternal side, my grandmother worshiped, she prayed, she sang. So I got the best of both worlds. So I decided that in order for me to be amongst people of light and for me to learn something different, I need to not forsake the assembly. So I, I, I made sure that I went to worship because that was my safe place. That was the place that gave me hope. That was the place that allowed me to cry for for the little girl that was healing inside that was the place that gave me um you know new life to 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 make me feel like oh I can do this and so that's what I would say to the person that that is like the girl that they will read in that book Danielle Rogers
0: this episode is brought to you by one of my favorite companies in the entire world, The Mina Group. As one of the top culinary experiences in the world, celebrity chef Michael Mina and his team are dedicated to giving you what you never knew you always wanted. With 30 locations throughout the world, this company is focused on the one thing that truly matters. They're people, and that is why they are your world of wow. Change your life by going to michaelmina.net. So take us into Danielle Rogers because, I mean, I, I think a lot of times um, people sometimes don't understand uh, the severity. So let's uh, – we're going to break the – again, we're going to break it into bite-sized pieces. We're going into poverty, and that's where we're going right now. I want you – but I want you to take me into some specifics. You've got some uncles that are uh, – that have nicknames that ain't their – that isn't their name. Am I correct? My, my best friend Will had an Uncle Bump Bump. And for my whole life, I called him Uncle Bump Bump, and I had no idea why. And then I found out, this was just a couple years ago, that he had a station wagon, and he made the kids ride in the back, and he would go over bumps fast. So they called him Uncle Bump Bump, and it stayed with him. Can you talk to us about the poverty side, and not just the, oh, woes me, but you learned lessons in this poverty that got you ready for the success that you're dealing with now?
1: I did. Okay, so um, I grew up in the projects of uh, McCullough Homes, and that's in the inner city of
0: Baltimore, Maryland. Explain Uh, the projects to us. For the person out there that doesn't know what the project, explain, take us there specifically and and set the scene for us. What I mean, because you hear about it, you see it on movies, but most of the time, Danielle, it's glorified. So talk to us about what it is.
1: Okay, so... I'm going to just say a lot of people have seen The Wire. So that's the project. Actually, The Wire was actually filmed in part of where I lived in the background of my, my house. So when you think about poverty, you think about, you know, these, um, this poverty-stricken neighborhood. Um, we don't have, you know, much grass. Um, You know, you might have a little bit of grass. You have all of these people that are low-income housing um, for the poor, people that, um, you know, can't afford, you know, little to nothing. They can't afford much. We are on welfare, which means the uh, social service provide us with food, food stamps monthly. Um, There's a school, certain schools that we go to in the area that are, Um, Don't get much funding, um, so we don't have books, great books to read through, um, all of those different things. Poverty, A poverty-stricken area is an area that lacks financial support. It lacks financial support within the home, um, which creates a mentality of poor, and it increases the crime rate um, and... Um, the ability for people to go out and, you know, break the law to do things so that they can get money or can be in a different place, i.e., that explains my uncles. <laughs> I had five uncles. They called them the Jackson Five, not because they were singers, <laughs> but because they were treacherous. And treacherous meaning that they robbed people, um, they went to jail regularly. They uh, sold drugs in the neighborhood um, uh, to all of the, you know, the people that were drug addicted. Um, most families inside of the poverty-stricken area have parents that are bugged, drug addicted. If it, if not both, then one. Or they um, are single mothers. They have um, single mothers. There's no dad inside of the home. Mm. So, that's a poverty-stricken area. Um, What are the great things about me being raised in 501 Huffman Street? That was my address. Um, My grandmother, to be honest, until I left outside of the projects, I really didn't understand that I was poor, you know. I had love and laughter. Our family, we laughed together. We loved one another as dysfunctional as it was. We came together on every holiday. So holidays were important to me. Um, We laughed. We drank. They drank. You know, they danced. You know, it was was just like they they had joy, but those things, they, they were just broken, and they just utilized, you know, drugs or different outlets to make them you know, comfortable with who they had become. And so that's what um, a poverty-stricken area is about. Um, And I had friends. Uh, My mother had a lot of friends. The one thing that I can say is the one person inside of that household that did not get high um, was my grandmother and myself, because eventually I have a twin brother. Um, He is 15 minutes uh, younger than me, <laughs> so eventually he became drug addicted. He, he, you know, got into drugs as well. So everybody that lived in that house got high or had some type of um, ex- extra curriculum as it relates to the law. And my grandmother, she worked very hard. She worked for the government, and what she provided for me was um, the ability to go out and work hard and get what you want. Um, what she and my mother provided for me was the fact that you can have loving, build loving, lasting relationships with friends. Mm-hmm. And what my mother also provided for me was that my mother did hair. She only did it inside the home. She did it to our family and our friends. So she made me being a cosmetologist just accessible until um, and it wasn't that I believed in myself to be able to become a cosmetologist until she passed away um, shortly after I went to prison. And I was offered, um, I knew my mother wouldn't want anybody to do her hair, so I did it. And um, the funeral director offered me a job at that moment. And so I went to school, went to cosmetology school to do hair for the dead, but I decided I wound up doing hair for the living
0: another pause for station identification and shameless promotion. This episode is also brought to you by Finley cars of Las Vegas. I tell you a next level in the car buying experience. And not only that, but the life of your car, the service that you're going to experience is incredible. It's Finley Volvo cars, uh, lv.com. And also brought to you by uh, bling shine serum, the only product on the market that will add weightless moisture, strength and shine and the only uh, product that has the endorsement of my mama. When I showed her all the features and benefits, she smelled it. And she said, this is the greatest product that you've ever done. And I thought, mom, do you not uh, look at the features and benefits? She said, no, if it smells like that, it must work. And I tell you, every single woman needs a little bit of bling in their life. And this can be purchased at kellycardinasalon.com. Oh, okay, okay. This has always fascinated me. Did Now, when you did when you did your grandmother's, that's got to be an emotional situation, right? You when Mama, you do your grand your grandmother was, was that you it was your grandmother that passed away. Am I correct? My mother, your mother. So when your mother passed away, you did your mom's hair for her funeral. I did. Okay, this is emotional now, but let's step out of the emotional part, right? And when you got the offer to do a bunch of other people that you don't know that died, did you do a couple and then figure out that you didn't want to do it? Or were you like, nah, before you started in?
1: No, I didn't. It was because he offered me a job that I went to hair school. Okay. and So I went to hair school and enrolled because that was the first time somebody ever believed in me enough to say, wow. oh, you can do hair. And so that belief that came from that funeral director was something directed to me that somebody said, "You can do hair." Wow. And so I was like, "Oh yeah, I can. I really can." And so I proceeded to do it because somebody finally told me that I can do something that I wasn't aware of.
0: Man, so and when you got out of school, did you go in and start doing uh, hair at the at the funeral home? I did not. You chose before.
1: I, went straight, the, I was, went straight to the salon. Thank you. I never, I never actually did anybody's hair, a corpse or anything after my mother until I built clientele up in the salon. And one of my first clients that passed away was a young girl, and um, and she went away to college, mm. and so I did her hair. That was the first client that I did after I ever did my mom's hair.
0: So you're telling me up up until that point. Outside of your grandmother, you hadn't heard someone tell you that you could, or that that they believed in you to to move forward. This was a huge pivotal part in your life.
1: No, nope, it it wasn't. Um, I, I I went to like we had a ch- Saturday church school. They came into the area. They got us, um, but it was a lady named Miss Thomas. She knew that we had problems with reading, so we went to reading classes with her um, on on Tuesdays. She believed in us. So she. it was things like, you know, I know you can read this. I know you can do this. It was like her belief in me, you Mm -hmm. know, actually warranted more out of me. And it allowed me to be able to fight through what I didn't know that I had inside of me. So that was the first time. But on the, the opposite side of it, no, nobody had ever said to me, Oh, Danielle, you can go to college. Danielle, you can do this. Danielle, you can do that. Because everybody was so consumed with their own brokenness and, and addictions that, they, they, that wasn't hope for us. Take us, was- through,
0: take us through, Danielle, uh, your uh, young Danielle, right? So we're still in the poverty part of it. Take us through young Danielle. Give us a specific instance where you were experiencing things that you thought were normal. And now when you look back on them, you're like, what? Like, I'll give you an example. My dad, we used to drive a 67 MGB GT. Police, please don't go after Pops. He's a good man now. (laughs) My dad used to always have a cooler in the middle of me and my brother in the back with no seat belts. We had a cooler, it was stocked with beer. We had a little uh, uh, wrap that went around the beer that said Pepsi. Mm -hmm. So he would have us crack the beer open, put the Pepsi uh, little wrapper on the beer, slide it to him low while he was driving. And for me, this was normal. this was absolutely normal. I knew how to pass it low. I mean this was I was in first grade right talk to us about and I want specifics, Danielle, going okay. back to little Danielle when you were experiencing things and you were like, "Oh, this is normal and now you look back at Danielle Rogers and you're like that that wasn't normal
1: okay. So the first thing, like childhood trauma, that I really honestly didn't know that anything was wrong with it. We played, um, it was when I was molested. And so we played um, uh, hide and go seek. But for some reason, I was always the only one stuck in the room with the door closed, and I was fondled as a little girl. So, like, you know, he would, you know, pull my panties down, you know, play inside of my vagina, and all of it, to me, happened really quick, but I honestly don't remember, and I was literally in the first grade. And so, for me, I didn't know anything was wrong with that. I thought it was part of the game until my mother, I lay beside my mother in a bed at night where another family member would come in a room. My mother would be passed out high and drunk. So once she was in that type of setting, it was like she was comatose. You couldn't wake her up. She was done. And so, but that does not mean my brother and I weren't asleep. So we all slept in a bed together. And so I would hear the door crack open and I knew to keep my eyes closed, but I also knew what it was. And that meant that, you know, a family member was coming in they were pulling down my mom's pants and doing the same thing that the other person did to me did to her it was two different people they weren't the same people but because of who that person was i knew then knew that it was wrong because it was done to me Wow! but up until i saw it happen to my mother i thought it was part of the high go seek game
0: my gosh how Daniel, how were you able to reconcile that? Like, you know, because you, again, you have, you have such a light about you and you're spreading a message and you're giving hope to so many people and you're doing it through telling your, your authentic truth of your story. Most of the time people pack that story down and then they, they do the rah, 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 joy, joy, joy. But you're like, I'm joyous, even though my circumstances aren't the greatest. How are you able to stay in that joy?
1: Honestly, I will say that um, I do know, looking back, I can look back and see pictures of me, and I can tell I was really a sad girl, you know, or a sad person. I can tell when I was going through stuff, turmoil or certain things. And it's funny because somebody just asked me had I ever gone to counseling, and I had not. But the women that sit in my chair that God gifted me the ability to be able to, you know, touch them and, and service them. Um, some of them are therapists, some of them are wise women, and some of them were were mature women. And we, they have been in my life longer than, you know, some of my family members. And so for me, you know, they helped me, you know, I, I, I was, um, you know, very transparent in some of these relationships. And so some of them were therapists where they would give me, you know, things to do. And the one thing that gave me the escape throughout life period was journaling. And that's what led me to writing my book because I journaled. I had 26 journals and I said that I was going to give them to my daughters. And so throughout life, that journaling helped me to be able to release some of the stuff. Yeah. I might have released it, but honestly, the trauma of what happened to me as a little girl was the lockdown inside, and I didn't even know it was there until there's this hair show um, that a young lady named Denise, um, she puts on, and it's called Mentorship Miami. And so her, her she opens the hair show with a work, worship service on a Saturday. And so everybody comes in, you go to um, Saturday night worship and this particular night, it was in 2017 or 2018, I believe this particular night, the speaker, the pastor that spoke that day, um, it was like the Holy Spirit just came in and everybody was just weeping. And so this particular night, I don't know what happened, but it was like, I just wept. And I kept weeping and I kept crying. I was crying so hard I didn't know why I was crying until the lady came over and was rubbing my back. And she said, don't get up. You're weeping for something you pushed down. You didn't even know was there. And so for me, I didn't know what that was until um, I decided to write the book. And every time I made space and time to sit down and write, the memories of things would come up. And so in me writing this book, I also went through a healing through some of these things, like three years in the making. And um, I think that story I probably... um, it's that story and a couple of other stories that I probably just talked away and I didn't go back to the book for maybe like three to four months because I had to deal with what I never dealt with at that moment.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, Now's the time to do some shameless promotion. This episode is brought to you by SqueezeDried, a delicious, no-hassle way to get superfoods, vitamins, and nutrition. Squeezedried.com. It's also brought to you by Cardenas Law Group, a high-level boutique law firm for all your personal injury needs. That's CardenasLawGroup.com. Thank you so much again for listening, hopefully you're continuing to enjoy the episode. So, Daniel, uh, talk to us, too, uh, because a lot of times when there's, uh, you know, uh, sexual abuse, um, mm-hmm. it, it, it alters and um, it alters our view of, of, of sex and of uh, uh, yes. what it was really, truly meant for. Yes. Did this happen with you?
1: Of course. At, um... Middle school, middle school. I don't know where it came from. Well, I know where it came from. It was lust. So what happens was that person took away my trust and the ability for me to be able to make decisions for my body because now I'm exposed to lust and I don't even know what it is as a little girl. Mm. But now my body is yearning for something that I don't know about until I actually see it. So there, are, there are X-rated videos inside of the house and. For everybody in the neighborhood, they come over our house, wait for us to get ready to school, and we're all looking at X-rated videos in middle school before we go to school. So that right there was the birthing of the lust that, you know, was just creating this, this big thing for me inside for me to be able to, you know, start having sex in middle school, get pregnant my first time I have sex, don't understand that I'm pregnant. I'm in social studies class and we're going through reproductive system and all of the things that they're talking about when a person gets pregnant, I'm listening like, oh my gosh, that that sounds like me. And so I go home and have a conversation with my great grandmother and my great grandmother says, I was wondering why I kept dreaming about fish. And so she helps me to have a conversation with my mother. My mother is livid, and at 13, I have my first abortion. Wow. And so that was um, that was a, a cycle for me. It was an ongoing cycle because what I was looking for really was love, but because lust had been introduced to me, lust was the thing that I fulfilled all the time. So in my book, I talk about my sexual addiction. Because I had a sexual addiction that really just wanted me to feel good. And what I wanted was love, but what I was uh, seeking was lust. And so that took me on a journey of just becoming this promiscuous young lady, you know, um, not really understanding what I was doing, but it just made me feel good. And so I went through life wanting to feel good. Uh, and not understanding the behavior of wanting to feel good. It was an escape. It was, you know, um, feeling abandoned. All of those things, you know, not having a dad around because my father was, I spent time with my father's family, on my brother and I, on the summer, but my dad was never there. He was always locked up. And so I lost my dad when I was in middle school because he died from a drug overdose. And so, you know, it was kind of like this dynamic where, you know, I just, I just wanted to feel good all the time. I heard in one of your,
0: I heard heard in one of your lives too, Danielle, I was, I was listening to it and, um, you were talking about your, your mentality at the time of, um, that you were thinking or utilizing, um, you know, uh, abortions as Contraceptive. Can Contreceptive. you talk, can you talk to this, this, because this was like when I, this was an explosion for me in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. but it, it helped me to like, when I understood your story, this little girl that was seeking for these things, it, you know, at first, if you were just to say that, Hey, I use, if you just say that out of context and a the person's like, ah oh, they go into judgment, but guys, every one of you out there listening, you're hearing Danielle's story and Like you're taking us into the mind of this little young lady who's seeking who's seeking for love, but she has no idea. And then, but can you can you expand on this part of it? Because this one blew me away.
1: So um, you know, it's it's the little girl that's looking for love, and all she knows is that that five minutes of laying with somebody is going to give her the feeling the emotions the 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 lust that make you think that you're being loved you know she's going to get those feelings and so you know nobody talked to her about her cycle coming on as a young woman and that's why you know I talked to my daughter so much because we look at our children like oh they can't handle that no if you don't talk to them about it somebody else will talk to them about it or they just are going to learn it in a way that it just seems crazy. So for me, it was nobody talked about sex. No, we didn't have conversations. I, you know, didn't know anything about my cycle. And once I came on my cycle, I can get pregnant. And so for me, it was just like I was just having sex. It felt good. And I'm going to keep doing it. But the first time I got pregnant, you know, it was like, okay, my mother's was like, I'm going to take you here to get, you know, this, this done. And, you know, I just got fussed out about it. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, the child and say, ma, I want to go outside. And they say, no, you can't go outside. And then you sneak outside. It's consequences. You're going to accept the consequences because you want to go outside. And so for me, my mentality at that moment was. It's a solution to if I get pregnant again, but I'm going to keep getting having sex because it makes me feel good. I feel loved. And so, you know, for a child, you know you're you're talking about a woman growing up, a girl growing up, she's aging, but she still has you know this little girl inside of her mm-hmm. that has not been you know coddled, that has not been loved, that has not told her that you didn't do anything wrong when they touched you. you know it's nothing for you to be ashamed about, you know, so this little girl actually starts to create and make things good in her life, and so to other people it seems judgmental or it seems like it doesn't make sense. But the one thing that I do did know is that, Oh, I can't have a baby because I'm too young. Now (laughs) I don't know why I knew that one thing. and didn't. (laughs) 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 But it's in my, in my mind, it just, it's like, okay, it's a solution. You have a baby, you, you know, you get an abortion, you have a baby, you get an abortion and, The ironic thing was, is that until, um, my life got penetrated, you know, with God and the word and me being, me totally giving my life to Christ, it, it didn't, I remember the last time as an adult that I was making that decision for myself Mm -hmm. and, it was a hard decision. I cried, I, I wept, I, I, I asked God for forgiveness. It was it was the hardest decision to make because at that moment in my maturity, I knew exactly what what I was doing. I wasn't just having an abortion. I was making a decision to terminate a life. And so it is a hard thing when you understand what you're doing. But the circumstances around it is when God give us the, the the freedom of free will and we make choices and decisions for ourselves at a young age in our immaturity and and when you make those decisions they affect you throughout your life and so i promised myself and i promised god that if i did that i would um you know treat my body differently and that i would go get or do something that i would never put myself in this position as a woman again and i think that i was like Going on, I would think that I was 30, maybe like 32 when I did that.
0: Wow. So take us, we're, we're going to go into the, the the second bite-sized piece. I want to go into the prison part of it, but I also want to, I want to explore a little bit about, because you talked about your grandmother and your grandmother being a very, very strong figure in your life. And she was the one, you said there was two people in the house that didn't get high, your mo- grandmother and you. And so I'm picturing this grandmother, I'm picturing this grandmother that's loving on you, that's giving you wisdom, that's watching boneheads around you and saying, you ain't going to do that. Mm -hmm. But then, like we always do, we choose our way. And you were saying that you got hooked up, you know, you got hooked up with with a drug dealer. You... Talk to us from your grandmother's perspective was your grandmother trying to snatch a knot in that tail to tell you like what are you doing Danielle in this situation and take us through that part
1: no my I, I did not have my grandmother was the the most loving she's still here she supports me she's the most loving grandmother you can ever ever um you know have the only difference is that I had super exceeded the capacity of my grandmother to give me wisdom in life because hers was hers stopped around the same time or the same she she never dealt with the things that I was starting to deal with and to break through in our generation so you know it's- ca- it's kind of like this generational curse that if my grandmother never dealt with it and my mother never dealt with it. Now here I am as a little girl dealing with it because the curse just flows from generation to generation. So my grandmother couldn't really help me. She couldn't help me with what I was dealing with or give me wisdom because it was beyond her capacity of her to be able to give me wisdom about.
0: This episode is proudly brought to you by Samaritansfeet.org. I met Manny, a homie, probably about four or five months ago, and this man had such an impression on me. He told me that when he was nine years old, he had lived up until that point without shoes, and he won a contest, uh, got shoes, and it changed his whole entire life, inspired him to play basketball, inspired him to get a a Division I uh, scholarship, playing basketball, and uh, succeed at a high level in his life. He then got to a point where he was so successful Successful, but he was looking for purpose in his life. Samaritan's Feet serves and inspires hope in children by providing shoes as a foundation to a spiritual and healthy life, resulting in the advancement of education and economic opportunities. When I asked Manny, why shoes? Why did you think that this would be so huge? And he said, to provide a tangible foundation of hope. And the opportunity for a better life to prompt children to focus in school and families not to worry and to protect feet and decrease the possibility of getting a foot-borne disease. Since 2003, Samaritan's Feet and its partners have distributed over 8 million pairs of shoes in 108 countries and over 440 U.S. cities. And that's why I'm so proud that Samaritansfeet.org is one of the main sponsors of the Kelly Cardenas podcast, because making this world a better place is our rent for living on this planet. She could give you those hands though. She could give you those hands. Did she give you, did she give you them?
1: She gave me those hands. Now, what she did, <laughs> she did tell me, no, she did say that wasn't right, that was good. And and let me give you an example yes. just so the audience won't be confused. When my mother died, Um, I'm, I, I moved with my grandmother because I did have my own place. But when I left prison, I went to my mother's house because I had the opportunity to live with her. That was one of the things that I was tooling with while I was locked up. But I did have um, some time with my mother. But when she died, I had to leave a childhood home that I had been in and I always could go back. So that was devastating to me. So I moved with my grandmother. My grandmother then, we had this conversation, um, you know, probably recently in the last two years. I asked my grandmother, why did you let me have company in your house why did you let me do some of the things that you let me do in your house? And she said, because I knew you was grieving because your mother had passed away and I just wanted you to feel better. Okay. So the actual discipline that she could have given me, she didn't because she just allowed me to faster in the feel good part of feeding all of the, 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 the pain that I was going through
0: That makes sense.
1: So that's an example of, you know, why I say she didn't have the capacity to help me. But her presence Mm -hmm. was always enough to know that that was love and that was support. And that no no matter what I went through outside, that I always had her to go back to. And that she was going to love me regardless, like the prodigal son. So if I I went out, she always going to be there to you know love on me in 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 the midst of my mistakes
0: well it's it's amazing it's amazing to hear your grandmother's wisdom though because a lot of times people would have when i joked with you about she could give you those hands a lot of times people just give the hands in that time as opposed to understanding the situation and circumstance she understood that you were hurting right and you know and, and she loved you right through it i just i mean i i want to meet grandma um, I want, I want to have, I want to have grandma on the show. I want to have grandma on the show because I'm, I'm sure that she isn't going to pull any punches either. She not, but,
1: uh, I don't know. She's, she, she is like a background person. I didn't tell her, you know, <laughs> come, up, come up here and say something, you know, at the book sign. And she was like, Mm-mm.
0: yes, yes. So, okay. You, you took us past, you said, you know, when I got out of prison, let's go yeah. back, let's lead up to that because, a lot of times, what I've what I've noticed is, or what I've experienced um, with whether uh, whether it be through friend wise or even in my own family with the sexual abuse part, um, views of of relationships get changed, and also what I find, especially with young ladies, is they have the tendency to allow boneheaded us men into your life. So. Help us through that, but it's not always like, "Hey, I'm going to go out and pick the worst one right away." It's almost a stair step in. Am I correct? Yeah, Can you yeah. take us through that journey?
1: Well, um, um, the guy that I was dating that I moved into my first apartment with was my um, a girlfriend of mine's um, her cousin. Okay. and so he will always come around and flash his money and say, "You know, I could buy you this, I can buy you that and it was like you know i it was just ill, I hate you, uh, just you you know don't like you, but two years beyond that, you know here I am, senior in high school, I mean senior getting ready to graduate. I do have a daughter at that moment, she's three months getting ready to graduate from school and everybody's going to the prom, I really don't have money to, you know. So my grandmother, she always she always made sure we had, you know, dresses, shoes. But I'm thinking about going out after the prom. I'm thinking about pitching money. And a part of me only took what my grandmother gave me. It was, I felt, because her children waited for her to get home from work and took money from her all day, I never wanted to take from her. And so, for me, I wouldn't ask her for money. So, it was as if, you know, I this bell went off, like I know who I can go to the prom with, you know, with flashy guy that's been flashing his money all this long time. <laughs> I can get some pictures, I can get a meal, we can hang out, and I can get, you know, it'll be good. Well, I didn't know that I was setting myself up, you know, because you give the enemy an inch, he going to take, you know, five yards. And so I was setting myself up to, you know, pretty much become the girlfriend of this drug dealer. And for us to, you know, begin this dysfunctional relationship that, you know, I moved into my first apartment. And even though I left, I was leaving a dysfunctional place because our house was constantly getting raided. I went to another dysfunctional place and created that. And so what I thought to be, I never wanted to use drugs. I never wanted to be a part of that drugs and all of that. It now becomes a little bit, you know, um, pleasing to me because I really don't have money and I really, you know, I'm tired of living this way and I get to see all of my friends or people in school, wear what they want, buy what they want. And so poverty then affects you to the degree that, okay, well I'm going to do this. And so, He was just um, an out for me and, you know, me still thinking that I can take care of myself. So that's how we got into an apartment together. And in one instance, um, our house got raided from, you know, all of the drug activity. You know, uh, I became, I was against it and then I started helping him. So I would go help him to, I would help him like bag the stuff up. I would help him take the stuff to, you know, the people's houses or do big drops or whatever. And so the one thing that I realized you, you do lose a piece of yourself and what you think when you are, you know, um, laying with somebody that, you know, has a totally different perspective perception of you. It's like light and darkness, you know? And so we both were young We both um, were just trying to make it through life in this relationship, and we both were broken in our own different ways. And so that relationship was, you know, it was like, it was nothing but anger. We both were angry. We would fight all the time, fist fight. You know, it was just a very dysfunctional relationship. And But what he did do is he introduced me to the ability to be able to make money from the way he made money. And so when I got locked up, and if you re- read my book, you'll understand why I got locked up, but it really had nothing to do with him. It was a decision that I had made to actually started doing something else on the side with another one of his family members. And so when I got money from what I was doing, um, which was I was, you know, transporting, I was getting the packages, receiving the packages on the transport, transporting end of weed. Uh And so they would, I would utilize my aunt's house. They would come there. I would get it. Person would pick it up. I get my money. I'm I'm on about my business. And so, you know, it was when I got home or I might've bought something for the kids or bought something for our house, my grandmother hit the lottery. It was like, that was my thing. I didn't tell him what I was doing, but you know, eventually he did find out. And the thing was, was that when our house got raided, Um, Because our house got raided and my name was on the lease, his wasn't. I got the charge. And so that's the one thing that, you know, I try to give to young girls. Like, you got to be careful who you surround yourself with and who you lay with and who is in your home. Because as much as he tried to take the charge, he couldn't because it was my charge, because it was my apartment. And so that they put that on... um, a step. So the step meant that I couldn't get in trouble in any type of drug related situations or whatever. So then when I got caught with the weed and nobody else was around, I mean, in that case, you know, when you put yourself in that type of position, you can't call a person who who it belonged to because then you run the risk of them hurting you because now you're snitching. And so it was just like, that's that's the chance you take. You take the fall for yourself. And so I took the fall. And when I went to court, uh, I went to court on my birthday, my 21st birthday. So I got locked up. I got out. On, they got me out on bail, you know, and then I had to face those charges. I got locked up in a march. I was facing those charges on November the 1st, um, 1994, I believe. Yes, it was 1994. I went to prison. They gave me, the judge gave me seven months in prison. And so for a lot of people, it seemed like seven months is not a lot. But I had two daughters that I had never been away from. I didn't know who was going to take care of them, how they were going to be raised. And my mother was dying of AIDS. So for me, I had an uncle that died also while I was in prison. So for me, it was like family was like the joy of my life. And at that moment, it was taken away. So that's one of the reasons why I named my book A Journey of Discovering Freedom because, you know, when you get your freedom taken away, you don't realize how much you have to listen to somebody to tell you eat, sleep, and, you know, work, or, you know, you're you're on somebody else's time. You're on a state time. And so that was one of the things that I had to learn, but through all of the different um, cellmates that I had, um, the one that I ended up, I ended up, I think we started out on a wing, which was a wing for lifers. And I was scared to death. I didn't me, me and it was me and this one girl, we hung out together. She went to the store with her husband. He robbed the store. She, he came out driving, getting away. And of course she was accomplice because she didn't know that he was robbing the store. So she and I were hanging out together in, in jail And so we became good friends and, you know, we just kind of helped encourage each other. And so I ended up my last roommate that I ended up probably the duration of my time was maybe like like the last four months was with this older woman. Her name is Priscilla. She gave me the Bible. She was like a mother figure to me. And I just felt like those are times in your life where, you know, god still has his hand on you and that he still covers you no matter where you are it's like you know you know we look at prison but then we look at people in the bible that was in prison you know thrown in prison for stuff that they didn't do and it's like that was their journey into like joseph it was their journey into where they were supposed to be and so that's one of my favorite stories in the bible also Cause my book was going to be called from projects to, to the palace, but I figured nobody would. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to make it relatable. But, um, when I left, I, she, she actually allowed me to change my mindset and I created a plan while I was there. And I was like, um, okay, I'm going to go home, get a job. I'm going to work. And then I'll maybe go to hair school or maybe I'll do something else. I don't know, but I'm gonna go home and get a job. And so that was the first thing. And I'm gonna stay out of trouble. I'm not going back to the boyfriend. I'm gonna leave him alone. I don't wanna I had I still had an apart I still had a had a place that I lived in with him. It was probably our third apartment because we moved. We moved after I was pregnant when they raided my house the first time and I was pregnant then. The third time we moved. And so when I went to jail, I was working at the, um, I was working with post office for as a Christmas casual. So at that moment, it was like I wasn't going back to that apartment. Like it was like I was done. I went straight to my mother's. And from my mother's, I went to my grandmother's because I knew that I needed to change my life.
0: So talk to us too, Danielle, because now we're now we're getting into the purpose piece, which you already just, I mean, you took us right into that, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Yes. But I think a lot of times when people go through what you've gone through, I mean, hell, if someone went through 10% of what you went through, they'd be mad at God. They'd be saying, you left me. Why did all this thing happen? Talk us through that and talk to that a little bit because, I mean, Again, 10% of what you went through, most people would just give up and be like, I'm just going to, it doesn't matter anyway. I had one of my buddies uh, tell me, he was like, well, we were young and he's like, man, I'm going to go do this. And I was like, well, why are you doing that? He's like, because I'm already in debt. Why not just get into a bunch more? I'm never going to get out of this debt. So that's the mentality a lot of times as humans.
1: Right. Right.
0: But help us to understand, now you stand in front of us, and and if you could see her, you know what I'm talking about, the glow and the light that's around her. I know what that light is. You know what that light is, Danielle, and, and you can't take any credit for that light. You know that. No, I can't. I can't. But- For the people watching that don't understand what you and I are talking about in that, they're just seeing this joyous woman. They're seeing a woman who's going after a purpose, making a difference in people's lives, mentoring people, um, having a positive impact, always looking at the bright side of it. How? When you have every right to be mad and just go into the cycle.
1: Um, I had two reasons, and that was my daughter's. It's like every time life happened to me, I couldn't give up because that meant that I would give up on a chance of them having a life like mine's. And I never wanted their life to be like mine's. My 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 push and my why in life was that I wanted to create a different life for them to see that did not look like mine's. And so they were always the reason why that was my first reason why, because I felt like they were the first people that I really honestly, and it's hard to put this on a kid, but it was like, they loved me back. I felt their love as a mother. And so it was my job to love them in a different way. And so in me, you know, trying to do life for them, I also discovered that when I went to high school, I kind of regress for a minute because I, 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 my other joy in life to escape all of this was dancing and being in a club. So I could go clubbing all day long and dance, and it's this song, say, I want to dance my pain away. I would be on the floor thinking to myself, literally, like I'm dancing, and that's how I'm getting away. All of the stuff that was happening in my life, I escaped on the dance floor. And so, you know, I had this, I'm in hair school, and I'm like, okay, so after I get out of prison, I spend time, I leave prison in March. My mother passed away in September, but I get to spend time with her. I get to talk to her. I get to tell her all of the crazy stuff that I did, Uh, some of the stuff you'll read in my book. And, you know, she was just like, what? You know, so I get to clear my conscience with my mother. But she passes away. I do her hair, and now I go enroll in hair school. And so I felt like her death gave me purpose because if I didn't do her hair, then he wouldn't have offered me a job, and then I wouldn't have been at hair school because I loved hair. I said I wanted to do hair, but nothing ever gave me the ability to say, go do it, and so he, he offered me a job. And so, um, you know, I did her hair. I'm in hair school. I'm having fun connecting with girls. Now I'm back in the club having fun drinking. Um, Now instead of me having a sexual problem, I got a drinking problem because I'm drunk in a club and then driving (laughs) home drunk. And so (laughs) with my grandmother's car, it wasn't even my car. So, you know, after I got my grandmother's car shot up a couple of times at the club, this one particular night, you know, bullets flew past my face and I wake up the next morning and find out how many people got killed that night. And I'm like, I really need to change my life. Like this can't be it. Like something has to give. And the one place that I always felt comfortable with at, and I knew that was a safe place was church. Mm -hmm. And so, that day I made a decision that I wasn't going to the club anymore. I wasn't hanging out on New Year's Eve in a club, you know, just I'm going to go to church. And so I started going to church and it was like it became my saving grace because, you know, you might don't believe at that moment, but when you connect with a body of believers, you know, and you you you're inside a a, a building that's worshiping and praising God and invoking the spirit of God, it attaches itself to you. And now it's like your spirit is now starting to, 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 to grow because now, you know, you feed in your spirit. And so my spirit man was starting to become fed. And then I started growing spiritually in that aspect. And then I was, I wound up giving my life to Christ again and solidify myself in a actual ministry and so i learned a lot about god salvation and everything through that and then that became the thing that i threw myself into it was like this is it i'm gonna stay over here god been keeping me i could have been dead a couple of times but he keeps showing me that he loved me and so i'm gonna ride over here with him because he do love me and regardless of whether i can't see him he treat me better than the people that i can see and so i start riding with god and you know i was learning about the bible you know like i had these mature mothers in church that would you know love on me and then um, I get to a place where and I talk about my journey through, um, you know, all of the places that I worship, because at that moment, I realized I was worshiping, worshiping the people and not God. And so when they disappointed me, I then left the church because <laughs> they disappointed me because they were my spiritual mother and father. But what happened was the girl that didn't have two parents, I did. I was parent less attached herself to two spiritual parents and they became her spiritual parents and her parents that she did not have. And so I put too much on them so that when they did disappoint me, I left the church. And so for me, I felt like, Oh, I'm not doing this church thing no more because it's easier out here. I know how the people on the street come and they come in left. I know they come in left cuz I know them. But in church, you don't know how these people coming over here because they worshiping and praising God, but then, you know, they over here doing something else different in their life. So, I'm going to hang out in the world because it's better. But then I, I, I never got comfortable. It was it was that yearning, that spirit inside of me that I had, you know, fed. Most of the time, it made me uncomfortable, like, yeah, that's not it. It kept on saying, this not it, this not it. So eventually, I, I fasted, and I prayed, and I asked God to direct me to another church, and he did. And so that's when I did learn at that first place how to shut my flesh down and fast and pray. And so that was one of the gifts that they, they gave me. They gave me the ability of obedience, um, sanctification. They gave me a lot. I learned that was my foundation at that church. And I did have to go, have to go back and say, I apologize. I was immature as a young girl. I didn't know. I worshiped y'all instead of God, and that's why I left. So... I had to clean up, as a mature person, I did have to go and clean up some of the relationships that I had broken in my brokenness. If that makes sense.
0: It makes a ton of sense. I mean, it was just like bomb after bomb after bomb. (laughs) Danielle, don't you think that they should make Number one, I got with my mom about this early on because she was all about Christian music and, you know, because I love to dance. I love to be out in the club. Mm. And she used to try and get me in Christian music. And I was like, but it doesn't sound as good as the other music. And (laughs) then nowadays it's a little bit better. We got got some good stuff. We got, got got some good stuff. But wouldn't you think it would be amazing to be able to have a true Christian club? Now, things would go awry. You know this would happen. But I always told my buddies, I was like, why don't we just have a club where there's not any alcohol, there's good music, and you could dance, like, to be able to dance. My friends were like, no one would come. And yes,
1: they would. I, I, I would mean, come. It's like, yeah, it's like people love dancing. It's like they love people. It's like you, you love people. You're around people. Mm-hmm. You get to socialize. And you get to dance and have fun. It's not always like you have to drink and have fun. You know, you dance and have fun. And so you know, it's like I like I was out with my cousin the other day. He had a party. I mean, I'm I'm not drinking. I, I do drink wine here mm-hmm. and there, but it's like you don't have to drink to have fun anymore. Like that's not it.
0: Well, I, I think it would be great. I mean, I'm sure that there's some, be some boneheads that would uh, mess up the party, um, but <laughs> <laughs> and you always got to have that uncle or that aunt that needs the I alcohol that yeah. that needs the alcohol yeah. to dance, and you love that that. You always love that uncle or aunt to come in. We always see them at weddings. You always have that one aunt or that one uncle that once yeah. it once they get that one drink in them, it's on.
1: Yes, and it's like they the laugh at the the, the 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 comedy central. <laughs>
0: So, so Danielle, what do you, what do you wish that people would understand? Like you, you have these compartments in your life, which I think is amazing because I've never seen someone weave them together so well when you, and, and you weaved them with your book, with poverty, with prison, with purpose. What do you wish people would know? about those things because most of the i mean those three things most of the time people stay in it they stay in poverty or they get into prison they stay in that cycle or they work towards purpose but i mean a lot of times purpose is so it it's such a large word for so many people and it has such this large meaning that people are like i don't even want to talk about that's the quickest way to stop a party is like what's your purpose
1: right
0: what do you wish that people would know about these things
1: Well, as it relates to poverty in prison, I feel like, you know, um, a poverty mindset, you know, will get you to a place where you didn't set out to be or you didn't set out to go. And so, you know, what the the one thing I feel like we as people need to understand that if we deal with things ourselves as individuals and as parents, then our children don't have to be unhealthy kids that have to grow up and then deal with the little boy or the little girl inside of them and get healing for that. If we deal with it, then the sins of the father mother won't fall upon the child. And so I feel like as, you know, an individual, if, You take all of that strength and you fight against all of these curses that have, you know, plagued your family from generation to generation. And it takes some looking back and understanding why. Like, I was angry with my grandmother because I thought my grandmother knew that my mother was being touched. And she did nothing about it. Mm. But the, the truth of the matter is I had a conversation with my grandmother that my mother never had. And so when my grandmother, when I was talking to my grandmother about the stuff that I was about to write in this book, I was also talking to her about things that she never heard that my mother never talked to her about. So, you know, that was a healing that took place between she and I, you know, that had nothing to do with my mother, whereas though I feel like if we have these conversations and we free you know, to just release the enemy from having so much power over our minds and in our um, hearts through unforgiveness, then we'll be able to, you know, open up a, a variety of things that we can for our families. So I feel like if it start with one person, that one person, and um, fortunately, I'm the person in my family. I'm the chosen one. I'm the curse breaker, and so I think when I realized that I was the curse breaker and that the more I elevated and broke through all of the curses and created generational blessings in my life, that then my daughters will be dealing with stuff that I wouldn't even know how to deal with because they would be beyond elevated where I, I, I am. And so that was, that's the thing that I want us to think about. Like as when you think about leaving a legacy, you know, don't think about what happened to you. Think about how you're going to heal from it. Think about, you know, going to talk to a therapist. Think about forgiving that person because here's this analogy. It's like a a slingshot. When you stretch a slingshot, it comes back. And so just imagine that person that you won't forgive on that one end of that slingshot and you're trying to journey through life moving forward. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do that. I'm doing all these things. But to some degree, you can't move forward. You're always going to get sucked back because you have allowed this person to hold on to your freedom because you won't give them forgiveness. Mm -hmm something that God gives us freely for us to give to other people. And so once I realized that I needed to learn to forgive people, to move on in life so that I could be free and not hold somebody accountable to my future, that was like an aha moment to me. I'm like, oh, you get forgiveness. You get forgiveness. You get forgiveness. <laughs> 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 it, no, no. It made me, me want to heal through what people did to me fast mm. because I didn't want to stay there. And I think over the years, what I have learned is to give the person forgiveness, to find a reason why they did what they did. And then I just say, well, they didn't heal from something that somebody did to them. And so I thought about that, and then I just was able to give it to them. And I also... I look at movies a lot. Criminal Minds is like my favorite movie and people are always looking at me like you're weird, but it's my favorite show because they have a team based on it that work together like no other, but they get into the minds of these killers and they journey back to what triggered them to, you know, kind of go off and start the killing and, It always goes back to their family, their parents, or how they were treated. And so it's called the behavior analysis unit. And so I feel like in life, we have these behaviors that are influenced to us by our families. But at some point, if you don't process them and figure out what those behaviors are, you will be repeating them throughout life. And so that's why I love the movie, because it gave me the ability to look at my grandmother and say and have conversations with my grandmother and understood why she she didn't do things about this. And then I understood why my mother couldn't, because y'all didn't talk about it. You she didn't know you went through the same thing. Maybe if she did, y'all would have had a kumbaya moment and I wouldn't have dealt with it because then y'all would have the protection in that family would have been on a high alert. Mm. So then it became, I'm going to protect my daughters. And so I just protected them like, okay, y'all not going to other people's houses because I don't know who lived there. You know, Uncle Buck might be there. Down, you might can't go to the bathroom upstairs. You're going to have to go downstairs, and Uncle Buck might be over there. All he need is two minutes to mess up your life, and I wasn't going to give anybody two minutes to mess up your life. I was going to protect you. And so it it creates these things where you start doing life and making different decisions, which are healthy decisions, to be able to protect your children in a way that you weren't protected, to, you know, expose them to life the way outside of poverty because I bought my first house at 30 because I did no longer wanted to live in the projects. And I wanted them to have a house that, um, you know, was a single-family home with a driveway, and, you know, we can play in the grass. I wanted them to have that house because I wanted them to know that you could have anything that you want. Regardless of whether I struggled there, regardless of whether I still dealt with some of my behaviors, it was me exposing them to something different other than what I was exposed to. And so, it in life when you're thinking about purpose, you think about never giving up on yourself. You think about giving. Um, you know what? What are those things that you love about you? What are those things that you would do with if anybody didn't pay you? I would. I would definitely do hair if I didn't get paid. Maybe not too long, but it's the fact that I love touching people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. There. I love touching people. I've, 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 you know, I've given my time to, you know, certain facilities, you know, for, you know, certain people. I've, I've even gone back to prison to give my time to the women to talk about decisions and making a different decision. Where, you know, my life was no different than theirs because I made a decision to be there they, where they were, you know, years ago. And so just to kind of connect with them, to make the connection that you can have life after death only if you choose it, but you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in a higher power. You have to believe in yourself. You have to impute forgiveness to other people. You have to plan and figure out what is it that makes your heart flutter, and then follow it. And that's how I ended up in, you know, um, a virtuous touch salon and spa where I partner with my, my youngest daughter. She's my business partner. Um, because I wanted to give her, give them the ability to do life on a totally different level. And so I feel like right now, um, you know, and even me getting married, you know, me getting married, me, me meeting my husband, that is totally a man of God. And that, um, you know, he protects me. He, God put him with me, whether I understood or not early on, he, God knew he was going to protect my heart because he knew that that's what I needed. I don't think that I knew at the time that I needed somebody to protect me to that magnitude and meaning protection, you know, but also a covering, spiritual covering. And so, you know, it's just, I looked at the areas of my life and I see how God loved me enough because I loved him and because I devoted my life into worshiping him and believed in him, regardless of whether I saw him or not, that he was my hope and that, you know, now I experience it in every area of my life, but not without fault, not without challenges because life challenges are going to come. It's not perfect, but I'm blessed.
0: You are blessed. We're all blessed to be able to have you, Danielle. I I can't imagine, like, if you're listening right now and you're in the the Baltimore area, you know where you need to get your hair done. Not only get your hair done, but go and have a slice of life that is around you and have someone speak life into you like what Danielle does. I can't imagine the line that's (laughs) going to be around the block. Like I said, if you live anywhere in the area is where you need to be, um, Danielle, I started the podcast because of two reasons, Maddox and McKenna. Maddox is 10 years old. McKenna is 12. Uh, on Sunday, she's about to be 13.
1: Oh, I met Maddox the other day when y'all were having cereal.
0: You did, right? Yes.
1: And so... I mean, what are we talking?
0: <laughs> well, uh, the reason why I started it is because I wanted to take iconic people like yourself. And I wanted to show them that the Daniels of the world were not superheroes. They're amazing people who have incredible attitudes and crazy work ethic and they stay curious in their life and they make a lot of friends. Yes. So what advice would you give to Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both of their names, it would be amazing.
1: To Maddox and McKenna. Uh, your dad is great by the way. I'm quite sure you guys know that. But what I would tell you is that, um, always keep an attitude of gratitude. You always keep an attitude of gratitude and always keep your character. Your character is one of the things that you never want to um, compromise. And I know that your dad is building great character in you guys and that if you keep great character, then you'll know the difference between right and wrong. And always make those right decisions. Your dad is um, a man of God, so he's teaching you how to be righteous. And so always choose those righteous decisions over the other decisions because those decisions will take you away from everything that your God, your dad has taught you. And then the other thing that I would say is that you always want to treat people the way you wanted to want to be treated. And so in life, I have been wanting people to see me, to love me, to treat me a certain kind of way, to protect me, to, you know, um, handle me. And so in that, I have given out to so many people um, what I wanted throughout life. But what I realized was that everybody wasn't um, worthy of what I had to offer. Offer. So, understand and know when you get around people that aren't worthy of your presence, that aren't worthy what you have to give. Don't give it to them. Don't cash your pearls be so, for swine, because they'll constantly suck it up and suck it up and suck it up and suck you up. And so, in that, I just want to say, life is about you. What you. Determine that you're going to do in life how you do it, your attitude, how you treat people, and always, and and that goes back to the fruits the fruit of the spirit. If you keep a hold of the fruit of the spirit, you'll be great in journeying through life.
0: Danielle, it has been an absolute pleasure. I mean, everyone out there that could see you, uh, they see your beautiful smile. They see the hair that is on point, like on point, amazing. Thank you. Like I said before, and I generally don't do this, guys. This is not a commercial for her salon, but I'm going to do a commercial for her salon and for her services and for her daughter, and for her book. She was like, you need to make sure the book goes out there too. From poverty and prison to purpose, I messed it up at uh, the beginning, and it's a journey to discover uh, a journey of discovering freedom, and guys. The podcast, as you know, if you're listening out there, you know this podcast is not about commercials. You know this podcast is not – it's about getting to know the person and who they are as opposed to what they do. But with Danielle, the two are intertwined. The way that you intertwine your purpose and your just who you are is so absolutely phenomenal. For me, it's not about a book. It's not about a salon. It's not about a partnership with your daughter. What it is about is about the light that's in you and that you keep shining it on every single person. And I tell you, you do it even through text. The text that we had back and forth, I felt lifted up just from having that. The a- the ask that I have right now for every one of you out there watching or listening. Every one of you got value from listening to Danielle. And this woman's story needs to be told at the highest levels. If you have any connection point in the prison industry, Danielle needs to speak in that prison. She needs to speak in your church. She needs to speak to your woman's organization. She needs to speak in uh, uh, high schools, in middle schools, in grade schools. Danielle's voice needs to be heard. And if you have that opportunity, I want to make sure that you connect with Danielle because she is going to make this world a lot better place than what it is right now. And I want to thank every single one of you for listening. Now's the time that you do all the things that you know you need to do. You need to click the links on the sponsors. You need to you know, patronize them. Do all the things. But most of all, take the advice of Danielle and not only just listen to it, but apply it in your life because it's absolutely phenomenal. Danielle, you have been a pleasure to be on the show. I can't wait to have you on again. I can't wait to see you in, in person. Um, yes. And I just want to let you know that you are officially off the hot seat
1: thank you so much i really appreciate it this was amazing this was definitely amazing i um i've been following you i've been watching you i love everything that you're doing and i appreciate you inviting me on your platform everything that you said um you just made my heart smile and it's probably
0: been it'll it'll smile for the rest of the week well have a wonderful day thank you for tuning into the show guys danielle thank you again i can't thank you enough and i can't wait for a second uh, episode
1: yes thank you so much